Well, good morning. I don't really know how to follow up that music because it's like, it's like I don't know, kind of spin, you know, I don't know. But it's really exciting, that kind of music. And as Charles said, we are in the middle of a series that we're doing, taking a look at the book of Psalms. And we want to say a big good morning again to all of you joining us online. And a big good morning to all of you in Quakertown. Uh, thank you for joining us. We miss you guys. Uh, can't wait to see you. And for all of you at home, uh, whenever it is that you come back and we see you, can't wait to see you as well. And so we're looking at the book of Psalms. And uh, if you are working on a New Year's resolution, if you're kind of looking at something like, you know what, I want to try something for this new year. Here's one for you that we would have as we start the year with Psalms. Each day, read a Psalm. Just read one Psalm. If you read a Psalm each day throughout the year, you will actually go through this book of Psalms twice and have a few days left over as well. So if you're looking for something to do, read the book of Psalms, one Psalm a day, Good New Year's resolution for you. There, I gave it to all of you. And the book of Psalms, it's found in the, the middle of the Bible. If you were to open up the, like just open up the Bible and there in the middle, you'd find the book of Psalms and there's, it's a collection of poems, it's a com- collection of hymns, it's a collection of songs. And, and one of the interesting things, it's fascinating when you look at the book of Psalms, is that there's all sorts of emotions going on. There's all sorts of emotions. You'll read one psalm, and it's a psalm of lament, and there's all of this grieving, and there's, and there's all of this deep uh, sadness, and then you'll just go to the right next to the next psalm, and there's this celebration, and, there, and there's joy, and, and, there's, and there's all of the feelings in the book of Psalms, right? I don't even like that phrase, but there's all the feelings in the book of Psalms. I would say that the book of Psalms is kind of like the teenager of the Bible, right? There's all of this emotion gone. Remember when you were a teenager, if you're no longer a teenager, and if you're a teenager now, this is you. The emotions go all, you feel really high highs and really low lows. It just is intense. And as Charles said, the reason we're calling this the voice is that not only does the book of Psalms speak to us as God's word, but it speaks for us. In fact, if you were to study church history, if you were to look back, not just study the Bible, but if you look at church history, there's a fascinating character in the fourth century named Athanasius. If you ever want to study church history, if you ever want to geek out about that, study a little bit about Athanasius. And he says this about the book of Psalms. He says, most of scripture speaks to us. The Psalms speak for us. They speak for us. And yes, as I said, while it is still God's word and it speaks to us, there is no book in the Bible that does a better job at capturing our heart's voice. And what we need to understand is that in our culture today, there's a lot of feelings going on. There's a lot of things. There's sometimes there's grief, sometimes there's anxiety, sometimes there's fear. We don't have to look far in our news cycle. I mean, over the weekend, there was a horrible hostage situation in the synagogue in Texas. We're thankful that that has been resolved But there's all sorts of feelings. And what we're saying in this series is that when we have those feelings, it's okay to feel those feelings, but we need to be bringing them to God. And those feelings are our heart's voice. So the book of Psalms is a reflection of our heart's voice. And so we're going to be looking today at Psalm 100. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Psalms and you can turn to Psalm chapter 100. And we're going to be looking at the voice of grateful praise. The voice of grateful praise. Psalm 100, a psalm for giving grateful praise. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful song. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us 
and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. And his faithfulness continues through all generations. This is a wonderful and rich psalm. And it's a psalm that calls us to praise God and it gives us the reasons behind our praising God. And as we look at this psalm, we're going to ask ourselves three questions today. That's all we're going to do. We're going to ask ourselves three questions. The questions are, what are we to do? Why are we to do it? And how are we to do it? What are we to do? Why are we to do it? And how are we to do it? Okay? So let's start off with the first question. What are we to do? Well, there's seven commands in this psalm. There's seven commands in this psalm. Shout. Worship. Come. Know. Enter. Give thanks and praise. There's seven commands. And what we're going to do is we're going to take those seven commands and we're going to actually split them up into three groups. So we're going to take the first three commands. We're going to make one group. We're going to take the last three commands. We're going to make another group. And that middle command, that fourth one, we're going to make that its own group in itself. Okay? So let's take a look at these commands. The first three commands, we need to kind of get a tone. We need to understand the tone of these commands. These commands come out of an invitation. There's an invitation and there's a direction of approach that is happening in those three commands. In fact, this was actually physically so historically when this psalm was sung. If you look at the book of Psalms, there isn't one author that wrote the book of Psalms. There's many authors. Some of them were written by David. Even some were written by Solomon. Some were written by a guy named Asaph. There's multiple writers for the books of Psalms. Many of the Psalms were actually sung. They were sung by a chorus or they were sung by a choir. This Psalm historically was sung by two choruses, by two choirs. And those first three verses of the Psalms the Psalm 100, the first three verses of the Psalm were actually sung by a group as they approached the temple. They were singing this chorus as they were walking towards the temple. There was an invitation to approach the temple. And as they're approaching the temple, they're singing these first three verses. The last two verses were actually sung by another group. It was a response by a group that was actually in the temple. And so the first three were sung by a group approaching and the next two were sung by the group that was in the temple. The last three commands that were sung in those two verses were giving commands of entering and arrival. And this is why this is huge. This is why this is huge. There's a call for an invitation for approaching the temple, and then there's a call for entering and arriving into the temple. And the reason that this is huge is that during that time, the approach to the temple, the entering to the temple, was approaching the presence of God. It was actually entering into the presence of God. In fact, when you cross over into the gates, when you cross that line of the gates, you cross the line from the profane into the sacred. And here's why this psalm is pretty amazing. Not everyone was allowed to do that. Not everyone was allowed to cross that line of profane and enter into the sacred. Not everyone was allowed to enter into his gates. Not everyone was allowed to enter into the courts. That was reserved for his people. That was reserved for the sheep of his pasture. And in that time, that was reserved 
for the people of Israel, for the Jewish people. In fact, the Gentiles, the people who were not Jewish or, Gen- or, or, or Israel, uh, from Israel, they could not do that. They were not allowed into those courts. But who is being addressed at the beginning of the psalm? Who's being addressed? All the earth. All the earth is being invited. All of the earth is called to approach. All of the earth is actually being called to enter into the presence and respond with gratitude and praise. All the earth. What changes? What happens that allows that to occur? What is the pivotal part of this psalm? The pivotal part of this psalm occurs in the fourth command. It occurs with the command to know. It occurs in the command to know. And if you were to look at this command to know, it's not just simply an intellectual assent of something being true. It's actually, there's an intimacy in this command. There's an intimacy in this command to know. It's not just know that the Lord is God. It is know the Lord is, who is God. It's not just know that, that the Lord is God. It is to know the Lord who is God. There is a call to know God. But look again at the imagery that is there. How are we to know God? How are we to be able to know God and actually be able to enter in, to actually be able to approach his presence and then enter into his presence? How is this knowing? Who is it that we are to know? And again, look at the imagery. If you were here last week, I mean, if you, you weren't. <laughs> if you were watching online last week, you would have heard Charles talk about Psalm 23, the Psalm of the Good Shepherd. And what Charles talked about was how Jesus is not just the Good Shepherd. He is the lamb who pays the sacrifice for our sins. It is through Jesus, both the lamb and the shepherd king, that we are able to know God. It is through Jesus that we are able to enter into God's presence. It is through knowing the shepherd king that we can cross the line of the profane and enter into the setting of the sacred. It is by knowing the shepherd king that we are able to do that. And this picture of this shepherd, this picture of being part of the flock of the shepherd is being offered to the whole earth. And the only way that occurs as we look back in hindsight is through Jesus Christ. And so we are called to know the shepherd king. And so what are we to do? Well, there's seven commands. There's seven commands that happen. Shout, worship, come, know, enter, give thanks, and praise. And all of these commands circle around this grateful praise, and all these commands flow from, uh, flow to knowing the shepherd king and flow from knowing the shepherd king. What are we to do? We are to know the king and respond with grateful praise. We are to know the shepherd and respond with grateful praise. We are to know the Lord and respond with grateful praise. We are to know God and respond with grateful praise. Well, why? Why are we to do it? Well, that's found in the last verse. Why? Because the Lord is good and his love endures forever. 
The Lord is good and his love endures forever. We respond with praise. We shout for joy. We worship the Lord, not just because of what he has done, but because of who he is. We respond to the very nature of God. In fact, in this psalm, there is only one action for God that occurs. There's no actions in this psalm except for one action, and that is actually more of an identity marker. It is just saying that he has made us. It's more of a statement of an identity marker. This psalm is flowing with gratitude. It's flowing with praise. It's a homage psalm, and it's all focused on who God is more than what he has done. And certainly we know a little bit about who he is by knowing what he has done for us, but how many times do we just praise him for who he is? And I was trying to find an example of this. I was trying to find an example in a movie or in our culture of just when you, you celebrate someone just because of who they are. And it was really difficult to do that because in our culture, we don't necessarily just celebrate people for who they are. We celebrate because of what they do. In fact, many times identity is wrapped up in action. And so I kept racking my brains and I kept racking my brains. I was like, where do you see this? I know you have to see this somewhere. Where do you see this? And it finally dawned on me. You see it with kids. You see it with little kids. Kids sometimes give us some of the most powerful pictures, give us some, sometimes the most powerful expressions of what our hearts should be in their innocence. Sometimes kids just celebrate people and they, they have no clue what that person has done. They just celebrate them because they, of the person that they are. And I was thinking back to, to my own kids and when they were much much younger. And I was thinking about when I would come home after a long day's work and, and I would open up the door. And the first thing that would happen is Henry, my basset hound, he would start to race back and forth, back and forth. Only about three times because then he would go in the corner and put on an inhaler because <laughs> basset hounds really shouldn't run. And then my kids would run down the steps and they're like, daddy's home, daddy's home. And they're shouting with joy. You know what never happened? You know what never happened? They never ran down the steps and said, the one who provides our meals and pays our bills, he is home. The one who tucks me in at night, he has arrived. And they never did that. Those things they knew were true. They are thankful for those things. But they weren't celebrating the things that I did when I got home. They were just celebrating who I was, and that I was there. When it comes to worship, I wonder how many times do I praise God like that? How many times do I just praise God and thank him for who he is? How many times do I just walk into his presence and I'm like, God is here, God is here. How many times am I just excited just because he's God? Or is my worship sometimes subjected to circumstances and influenced more by circumstances of what he's done than who he is? Honestly, sometimes that's true. I'm just letting you know that sometimes that happens to me and that's not the way it should be. We should worship God for who he is. Worship God with, with all our hearts because of his very nature. And that starts with the understanding of knowing him, of knowing him intimately, and we are able to know him because of Jesus, because of the good shepherd, who is also the sacrificial lamb.
So what are we to do according to Psalm 100? Well, again, there are seven commands of praise in the Psalm, and they all center around the command to know, to know God. And we are able to know God because of Jesus. Why do we need to do that? Because of who God is. And finally, the last question, how do we need to do it? How do we need to do it? Well, with exuberant joy and gratitude. Exuberant joy and gratitude. Joy and uh, gratitude need to be some of the heartbeats of our worship to God. Not manufactured happiness because we like the song. Not manufactured happiness because, because we like how the music sounds or we like how the vocalists sound or we just like the words or whatever. I know you don't do that. I, I do that sometimes, just to be clear. Not manufactured happiness, but joy. True joy. True joy that comes from knowing God. Joy that is not subjected to our circumstances. Joy that only comes from God. And that starts with having the right focus. It has the right focus when it comes to worship. And first, we need to understand that worship is not just singing. Worship is not just singing. In fact, if you look at this psalm, if you look at Psalm 100, and you look at the word worship in this psalm, it actually is closer to the word to serve than it is to sing. It's actually closer to the word to serve. In fact, it echoes... The cry of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans 12, verse 1 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We are called to worship with our lives. Yes, singing is a part of that. But it's not the only part of it. We are called to worship God with our lives. We are called to praise him with our lives. Worship is a response to someone. Worship is a response to God. In fact, here at Calvary Church, you may have heard us sometimes define worship as this, seeing God for who he is and responding appropriately. You get that theme of knowing again? You get that theme of, intimately knowing God and responding with hearts of worship with our song, but with our lives. And again, maybe I'm the only one who has struggled with this, but at times I feel that on Sundays I have the wrong focus when it comes to worship sometimes. And at times I'm more inward focused than everything. and, And I'm more focused about how the worship Service is going to make me feel and more focused on that, hoping, hopefully making me feel good. And, and the reality is when we worship God, we should feel good. It says to shout with joy. There should be joy that happens in there. But worship was never meant to be about me. Worship was never meant to be inward focused. Worship is meant to glorify God. The purpose of our worship is to glorify God, not make me feel good. Worship is upward focused. It's upward focused. And interestingly enough, not only is it upward focused, but because worship is about glorifying God, because worship is about bringing glory to God's name, worship is also outward focused. 
There is a vertical aspect to worship and there is a horizontal aspect to worship. There needs to be an evangelistic and missional part of our worship. And here's what I mean. When you like something, when you like a restaurant, when you like a meal, when you like a movie, you tell others about it. You, you just can't help but just gush over this, this movie or, 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 or this restaurant. You tell her there's a reason that Yelp is so downloaded on our phones. And here's why. The way that people respond to something impacts what we believe about that thing. The way that people respond to something impacts the way that we believe about that thing, impacts what we believe about that thing. How are we responding to God? If worship is a response to God, how are we responding to God and how is our worship impacting what others believe about God? I grew up in New York City, so if you don't know me, I grew up in New York City. And so if you don't know me, you might not like this, but I am a Knicks fan. I am a Rangers fan. I'm a Giants fan. (laughs) And a Yankees fan. But what you might not know about me is that I'm also a Phillies fan. I actually really like the Phillies. As long as they're not playing the Yankees, I'll root for the Phillies. I even have Phillies hats. I have Phillies jerseys. I have Phillies sweatshirts. I root for the Phillies. Not always. I can tell you exactly when I started to root for the Phillies. I can tell you the exact day when I started rooting for the Phillies. October 27th, 2008. Some of you know what that is. If you don't, I'll tell you. I started rooting for the Phillies on October 27th, 2008. When Brad Lidge was on the mound, he goes into his windup. He delivers a pitch, swing and a miss, strike three, ball game over, Phillies win the World Series. There's Brad Lidge on his knees, raising his hands in the air. Everyone is celebrating. That's not when I started. It was the moment after. It was the moment after. It was late at night, and all of a sudden, my neighborhood erupted into celebration. All of a sudden, all of my neighbors, the people who I knew, the people who I cared about, the people who we lived together in community, rushed out of their homes, banging pots and pans. Never experienced anything like that. Banging pots and plants, shouting cheers, celebrating, give each other a high five. The same people who were fighting over a parking spot just a few hours earlier were hugging each other with joy. And I'm watching this celebration. I'm watching how happy everyone was. And I look over to my wife and I'm like, if this is the result of the Phillies winning, I'm okay with that. And from that point on, I started to root for the Phillies. Now, there's a side note here that you need to understand. When the Eagles won the Super Bowl, that did not happen. You will not convert me there because that is just bad doctrine. But what happened was there was an action. They won the World Series, but it was actually the testimony 
of the people who had their hearts invested in this team that converted me and changed the way that I viewed and changed what I believed about this team. What would happen if our neighbors, our coworkers, if the people in our community saw us celebrate with the joy of Psalm 100? What would happen if we worshiped like that? What would it tell our community about God? What would it tell them about Jesus? How does our response to God impact what others around us believe about Jesus? What does our worship say to God about what we feel about him? And what does it say to others about who God is? You see, when we worship as a church, I want our worship to be something that just brings a smile to God's face, that we just tell God how crazy we are about him. And when we do that, I want people who are new, who just are kind of figuring this out to look around and be like, man, there must be something to this God that they're singing about. There must be something about this Jesus that they're singing about. Our response should impact others and point them to Jesus. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to praise God today. You see, in a moment, we're going to sing. So here's what I want you to do. You've sat down long enough. I need you to stand up. I need you to stand up. Go ahead. All of you at home watching online, if you want to stand up, stand up. We'd love for you to stand up. There's no way of me knowing this. All of you in Quakertown, you should be standing up. We're waiting for you because you guys take a long time, so... Come on, Quakertown, stand up. We're going to sing another song. What we are going to do today is we are going to praise God. And I want us to shout for joy. I want us to worship with grateful hearts today. And I don't want that to end today. I don't want us to end worshiping God when we walk out of the doors of this building, when you walk out of the doors of Quakertown, when you shut off the online feed. I don't want it to end there. I want it to be following us through our life. And so here's your assignment. Here's your assignment this week. Two parts. Every day this week, you're supposed to be reading the Psalms also. That's your annual assignment. But every day this week, even if it's just two minutes, just praise God and tell him how great he is. Just take some time to tell God how great he is. Not thank him for the things he's done. Not asking him to do other stuff. Not all, Just spend a couple of minutes every day and just tell God, man, you are awesome. You are great. And then if you have the chance, go and tell someone else how awesome God is and how great he is too. Let's worship with our lives this week. And let's do it with joy. Psalm 100 is a psalm for giving grateful praise. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. 
Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you. We worship you. We thank you. You are an amazing God. You are a great God. Lord, as we spend some time together worshiping you, let our song, let the words we sing, let the song of our life, let it just glorify you. Lord, hear our praise. Hear our praise and hear our joyful hearts and our grateful hearts as well. We thank you so much, not just for what you have done, but for who you are. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.